Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 18. If you prefer to navigate on an electronic device, that's cool too. Judges 18. We're going to look at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 31 this morning. That's our text. The topic, the tribe of Dan abandons the conquest of their own allotted territory and instead conquers the land of Laish by murdering its peaceful inhabitants. The title of our message, This Land Was Your Land, This Land Is My Land. (laughs) Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we follow the exploits of this tribe through this chapter, I pray that the only way we would see ourselves is in not doing any of these things. But seriously, Lord, that we would see the application that you have. The story is here for our learning. For our encouragement, for our growth in Christ. And as Gino prayed earlier, if there are any folks here that are not yet Christians, they're not born again, they're not clothed with a robe of righteousness, we pray that your spirit would be convicting them of things, Lord, that uh, need to happen in their lives, the understanding of their sin before you, that they would uh, cry out for the forgiveness of their sins, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for them. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. It's arguably Lawrence Tourette's greatest on-screen performance. We know him better as Mr. T. And the role I'm talking about was Clubber Lang in the 1982 film Rocky III. Mr. T was a dangerous contender seeking a title bout against the reigning champion. Mick had been dodging the fight. As Rocky's manager, he didn't believe The Rock could defeat Clubber Lang. And so he protected him by arranging fights with lesser has-been opponents. In our text, the Israelite tribe of Dan decides that the fight to conquer the territory allotted to them by God through Joshua is just too hard. Instead of eliminating the enemies in their own land, they go searching for a territory that is easier to conquer. Their faithlessness resulted in theft, kidnapping, and finally the slaughter of an innocent and peaceful people. Many of the church's hymns portray the promised land as if it was a type of heaven. It's not because there are enemies there and overcoming them involved warfare. None of that is typical of heaven. The Israelite conquest of the promised land can be seen as typical of our own walk with Jesus in the world now. On our way to our rest in heaven where we do have enemies to overcome. In terms of our chances, we're called conquerors. In fact, the Bible calls us more than conquerors. One pastor commented, To be more than a conqueror means we not only achieve victory, but we are overwhelmingly victorious. Now, we aren't given a physical inheritance of land to more than conquer, but we do have a sense that the circumstances of our lives are the territories where we are to be overwhelmingly victorious. Unless I'm like a Danite, And decide that my circumstances are too hard and I set out to find an easier territory. Being more than conquerors in our allotted circumstances will be the application as we work our way through this chapter. I'll organize my thoughts around two questions. Number one, are you treading in the territory God has given you to more than conquer? Or number two, are you trespassing into territory God has not given you to more than conquer? Let's take a look first of all in verses 1 through 10. At the territory where we tread. And let me give you a couple of disclaimers before we move on. It's never our purpose to unduly burden individuals. And so, number one, 
There are circumstances in your life that you have the freedom to change. Your employment, for example. There's nothing wrong with you looking for and getting a better job or just a different job. Unless God wants you to stay in your job and meet its hardships in his power. Only you can determine with the Lord's help if he is moving you on or if you are escaping the territory that is yours to conquer. And secondly, there are circumstances in your life which you do not have the freedom as a Christian to escape. Your marriage is a prime example. If you do not have the narrow grounds for a biblical divorce, then you're to remain in the territory of your marriage and be more than a conqueror. I don't want anyone to think that you're stuck somewhere if God is giving you new direction. But the main exhortation here is to realize that we most often want out of any circumstances that are less than favorable. Those are the territories in which we are to conquer. A variation of that is thinking we have freedom to choose where we live and work. God wants to give you the desires of your heart, that's true. But he is also changing you day by day into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He uses your circumstances to make you and to mold you. And that means that there are circumstances that he has for you that you would not choose or that you choose to leave. So while I may think I'd be better off pastoring Calvary Chapel of Anaheim so I could minister to Mickey more often, God has assigned me Hanford as a territory. Now don't get me wrong, I love serving here. But way back more than 30 years ago, Hanford wasn't my choice. It wasn't my choice specifically because I had never heard of Hanford before, like most people in California and in the rest of the world. And the people who have heard of Hanford think it's the nuclear power plant in Washington. And so it, it just, I'm just pointing out God has his plans. And so not to really pick on anybody, but it seems like there is a massive exodus out of California. Have you noticed that? Everybody, now don't, don't smile, don't move, don't do anything. You don't want to be caught in this crossfire. But everybody wants to get out of California. And I even say there's good reason for that. Just make sure that God wants you to get out of California and that where you're going is where God is sending you. Because I don't think we have the freedoms that we think we have if we want to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I think it may sound funny, but you make it difficult for God sometimes by going your own way uh, rather than the way he has to mold and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. And so verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. Now when the writer who we believe was Samuel said there was no king in Israel, he meant two things. Number one, it was before the time when Israel had human kings. And number two, it was a time in which they had rejected the rule of God as their king. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. After leading the Israelites into the promised land, they were told by God, and I quote, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. In that faith, they were to conquer the enemies that they found in the land. Joshua led them to decisive major victories. But it was up to each tribe to finish the job and to destroy or dispossess the pagan people squatting in their allotted inheritance. The Danites, it says, were seeking an inheritance. And that means they failed to conquer the enemies that were in the land God allotted them. 
They failed to conquer the enemies and were seeking some other inheritance that was easier. The Amorites were the enemy in the territory given to the tribe of Dan. Moses had some earlier dealings with the Amorites. He defeated one of their kings, a guy called Og, O-G. He's first introduced in the book of Numbers. In Deuteronomy, we're told he was something of a giant. Not just a tall guy. We're told that he slept in an iron bed that was at least 13 and a half feet by 6 feet when converted from cubits to feet. There were actually three different cubit measurements using what was called the longer cubit. Og's bed would have been even larger than 13 and a half by 6. And it's estimated he could have been 16 feet tall. Now, we believe the Bible, right? And the Bible is telling us this. This isn't being made up. He had a a big bed and he was a tall guy. And not just a regular guy, because giants, what we call giants, they only, you know, if you get to be around eight feet, you don't live very long. And you can't hardly move. And so this isn't just giantism. This is a different kind of a being altogether. He was Nephilim. He was the offspring of the mating of fallen angels with human women. If you think that's weird, it's a great evil you read about in Genesis 6 that precipitated Noah's global flood. In Genesis 6, you also read ominously there were Nephilim on the earth again after the flood. They didn't survive the flood, but they were on the earth again after the flood, meaning whatever happened in Genesis 6 happened again in a limited way afterwards. And you see, as you read with an eye for this through Joshua and some of the Old Testament books, that they appear in the promised land as a big problem for the Israelites. In fact, when the 10 spies came out of the promised land and they said, yeah, it's a great land, but there are giants in the land and we look like grasshoppers compared to them. And so these giants were a big problem and we know that Og was one. And so we assume that the Amorites not just were a strong and powerful people, But they also had giants that needed to be overcome. The Amorites were formidable. They forced Dan up into the mountains and they would not let them come down into the plain. In other words, the tribe of Dan didn't have the faith to overcome their enemies. What do you do when you're facing giants? Well, some years later, when David was still a gangly young shepherd boy, he had the faith to believe that any Israelite could defeat another giant by the name of Goliath. He was only about 12 feet tall. So he was a puny giant by comparison. But he wouldn't defeat him by might or by power. It would be by the Lord empowering him. And that's the great part of that story with David. David hears Goliath's challenge. And no one steps forward to meet it. In David's mind, every able-bodied Israelite man, in fact, even disabled Israelite men, should have been clamoring to fight him. There needed to be a lottery to figure out who was going to fight Goliath because any one of them could take him down walking with the Lord. And of course, David did. It's clear that God had called the tribe of Dan to more than conquer the Amorites by faith. The Danites had a different approach, however. They just got out of Dodge to find a different inheritance. Does your fight right now seem too difficult? It is. It is for you to battle alone. But you're never alone. Cast your care upon the Lord. Let him take the lead in the fight by yielding to his indwelling Holy Spirit. Rest in his grace and mercy. Your circumstances may not change, but you can conquer within them even if you must endure them. Verse 2. 
So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from the territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtaal, to spy out the land and search it. And they said to them, go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. The Danites had men of valor, but this was a human evaluation. These were big, skilled guys who among their peers were feared. But compared to the Nephilim, they were weaklings and cowards. And so the problem is they were walking by sight and not by faith. We must always analyze our circumstances and then walk in them by faith. Take your job, for example. Sure, you can quit and get another job if your circumstances aren't ideal. But even then, you're to more than conquer while you remain employed there. Handle the stress in the power of the indwelling spirit. It's a giant that you can either flee from or you can face off. And you'd rather be David than the Danites. In verse 3, while they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? Now, we met this young Levite, whose name at the end of this chapter we get as Jonathan. Uh, We met him in chapter 17. He was a poser. Levites were to remain in their assigned cities, teaching and counseling from the word of God. Instead, because worship at the tabernacle in Shiloh had fallen off and was on lean times, Jonathan hired himself out to idolatrous Micah and his household to be their priest, something he was not called to do or qualified to be. And so verse 4, he said to them, Thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. Jonathan was serving in a forbidden household shrine that featured a replica of the high priest ephod and two carved idols. He made it all sound spiritual, but the entire arrangement was evil. He should have remained in the city assigned to him and more than conquered the financial hardships that were besetting the Levites in those apostate times. Instead, he did exactly what the Danites were doing on a larger scale. He abandoned his allotted territory to find something easier. We can make almost anything sound spiritual, and that's what he was doing. But not so much if we honestly measure everything by the objective word of God. If we read what God says about something and then line up what we're doing, if you're a Levite, you're, you're never to serve as a priest. You're supposed to stay in an assigned city. Idolatry is evil. Uh, it's easy to show Jonathan that he was totally wrong. So verse 5, they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. This is not spiritual, not at all. First of all, the place to inquire of God was near to them. It was at the tabernacle, which was in Micah's Ephraimite territory. And also, there's no way God could give this answer because their journey was wrong from the get-go. On occasion, I've had to tell people that God didn't tell you that. They'll come in and I'll ask them what's going on. And they'll tell me. And they always blame it on God. God told me this or God led me in this way or God is showing me that. And strictly based on the word of God, it's not my opinion, but it, you know, if God has said something that's contrary to what they're saying, then God didn't tell them that. He doesn't say, this is what I generally believe, except for you. We'll fudge a little on you. That doesn't happen. And so uh, God didn't, wouldn't have given the Danites this answer because they were in the wrong for leaving their territory in the first place. We can assume that Jonathan's answer was typical of the false counsel that he always gave out 
telling people what they wanted to hear. You know, you can sometimes get godly counselors to tell you what you want to hear. I hate to tell you how to do it because I hope you never will. But it's by omitting certain key details from the story that you tell them. If you're going to seek counsel, make sure you're open and honest about what's really going on. Don't omit certain important details. And if you're giving counsel, be hesitant to do so until you feel like you've really heard the matter, both sides of the matter, if there is another side, and, a, and the fullness of it. Uh, I think sometimes we have a suspicion that there's more to it than we're getting. But we feel like we have to give people counsel. Uh, if you need to give people counsel, just tell them to trust the Lord and to keep seeking the Lord and to let's, let's pray. I don't know what to tell you, but let's pray together, those kinds of things. Because sometimes when we deceive ourselves, we deceive others too. And we just don't tell them the whole story or the real story. And so verse 7. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians. They were quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. In other words, they were an easy target. About 40 years earlier, Joshua led the Israelites to conquer Canaan, but Laish was not part of the territory they were commanded to occupy. The inhabitants of Laish were peaceful and secure. They weren't cruel and warlike. They weren't idolaters. They were good neighbors for the Israelites. And that made them just the opposite of the Amorites. And as I mentioned, an easy conquest. Hey, don't go for the easy conquest. Take ministry as an example. Don't establish a ministry that's easy when there are real needs to be met. Don't start a church in a town where there are already lots of good churches. There are places that need churches. If you feel called to the ministry, find a place that you're called to, not some place where you can take a bunch of your friends and start a ministry across the street from the church that you're attending. Uh, I, find that, I find it difficult to believe that that's from the Lord. Uh, go somewhere where people are saying, hey, we need to be taught the word. Verse 8, then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtaal. Their brethren said to them, what's your report? So they said, Arise, let us go against them, for we have seen the land. It's very good. Would you do nothing? Don't hesitate to go. Enter and possess the land. When you go, you will come to a secure people and a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. The one thing we know for sure is that God was not giving the Danites anything. They were going to take it and invoke the name of God. And this was blasphemy. Christians do this too. They disobey God very blatantly. And then they point to ways that God seems to be blessing them on the other end of it as proof that their disobedience is somehow approved by them. It's not. It's blasphemy. God doesn't bless sin. What are your territories? In one sense, they are everything about your life. Whether it's home or church or employment or school or relationships in general... God has called you to more than conquer. And sometimes I think it's hard to parse those out even. We think in terms of compartments. Well, I have my home life and my church life and my bed. But they all overlap. I mean, they really do. Nevertheless, uh, we, we can think about everything in our lives as territories. One reason we don't experience more victory is that we escape rather than take a stand. You're either David facing Goliath or you're the Danites fleeing the Amorites. And the choice is yours. Your circumstances are no match for the indwelling Holy Spirit and for all the spiritual resources at your immediate disposal. You're provided every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in order to live out a godly life. 
You're promised you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God wants you to discover him in your circumstances. He is using them to mold and make you like Jesus. Now, sometimes being a conqueror or even more than a conqueror means, as I said earlier, just enduring. I was thumbing through Job this morning. Why would you do that? But uh, anyway, Job is interesting because if you just read through Job, you'll find you feel like Job kind of doesn't do very well in his trial. I mean, he, he's, he says some things that God actually reproves him for there towards the end. But in the very end, God uh, gives him accolades and has him pray for his friends who sinned against him. And what we learn about Job is that he made it through to the other side. Now, we would have loved Job, instead of sitting in the ash heap with potsherd scraping his boils... To go to a dance, you know, and just say, hey, this is wonderful. I'm, I'm in a trial. What are all those things on you? They're boils. And, uh, you know, that we sometimes feel like that's the Christian life. But you know what? Job made it through to the end. He, he had the Lord and the Lord had him. And it was victorious. And so some of you, I mean, you're in trials that maybe you're never going to end. Maybe they're physical. Maybe they're emotional. Um, they're only going to get worse. It doesn't cancel out the opportunity for victory. And some days victory is just enduring and looking to the Lord and waiting on the Lord. But you know what? That's victorious. And that's wonderful. And so let's look in number two now. Are you trespassing into territory God has not given you? In some cases, the law requires you post a sign declaring no trespassing on your property in order for it to be enforced. Now, I think it should be obvious, right? But legally, you sometimes have to have a sign. I came across the following signs you might want to get. Uh, They seem good for this area. No trespassing. Are you bulletproof or just stupid? No trespassing. We're tired of hiding the bodies. This one's a little bit different. No trespassing. Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on zoo fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. And then there's this one. I don't know why this one spoke to me. This home protected by husband with gun and by wife with PMS. That's a house you want to avoid right there. The Danites are going to trespass twice in this story. First on Micah's property and second on the territory of Laish. Sadly, in those cases, it wasn't the trespassers who suffered. It was those who were trespassed against. The Danites would suffer consequences later as a tribe. But for now, they seem to prosper. When you or I abandon circumstances in which we should stand and more than conquer, we end up trespassing into another territory and everyone suffers from our faithless disobedience. Uh, People get hurt. When I'm not where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, when I'm running from the Lord seeking a different territory, people get hurt. And as we'll follow the Danites, people get hurt worse and worse and worse. Until there's mass murder. 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there. From Zorah and Eshtal. Armed with weapons of war. Then they went up and encamped in Kirjath Jerem in Judah. Therefore they call that place Mahana Dan to this day. There it is west of Kirjath Jerem. And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim. And they came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish. Answered and said to their brethren. Do you know that uh, there are in these houses an ephod, a household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. 
Well, I think you have a pretty good idea what they're going to do. They're going to rob Micah. But I love this phrase, consider what you should do. By itself, this is great counsel. In fact, it would be great as a principle to adopt for counseling. The entire tribe of Dan should have been able to be told, consider what you should do. Too bad they didn't have a Jeremiah to come along and say, consider what you should do. Because what should they have done? They should have repented and turned back and gone back to their territory rather than continue in their sin. And so this is a great principle to hear a matter in full, as I said earlier, and then say to the person you're talking to, let's now consider what you should do from God's word. And by should do, we mean need to do. That's really uh, counseling in a nutshell. Here's my situation. Here's what God's word says about it. Let's do that. Because anything else is going to just spiral out of control. And so verse 15, they turned aside there, came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men armed with their weapons of war, who were of the children of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. And then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up, Entering there, they took the carved image, the ephod, and the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. Now, it's bad enough that the Danites left God's enemies in the land for other Israelites to deal with. Now they were stealing from their Israelite brothers. Once again, it's an example of just how deceived we can be in thinking God is blessing us in our disobedience. These guys actually believed what they were doing was being blessed by God because outwardly it seemed successful even though it was in total disobedience to the word of God. And so verse 18, when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod and the household idols and the molded image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, be quiet and put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel. So the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the household idols and the carved image and took his place among the people. Jonathan's influence in the household of Micah was already terrible. But at least it was confined to one family or one localized region. Now it would be multiplied to a whole tribe of people who were already deep into their disobedience. As I said earlier, the Danites desperately needed a Jeremiah, not a Jonathan. For his part, Jonathan saw this as a promotion. It was a promotion, but it was worldly and not godly. Promotion needs to come from the Lord. And that means it has to be in accordance with godliness. In our society, promotion is almost always seen as not only good, but as necessary. There is pressure in your workplace to promote. But not every promotion is a good one. It might not be good for your family. Sometimes the godly thing to do is to stay put, even against pressure. Uh, all of us know families who promoted, and uh, you know, then you promote into a position where maybe you can't come to church anymore. And it begins to show in your Christian walk. Coming to church is, you know, we, we don't keep track of people coming to church or put a burden on people. But if you're a Christian, you want to gather with other believers, and sometimes the promotion keeps you from that or sometimes you promote to a different area and there aren't good churches or you know you you can't find fellowship and all of these begin to undermine the family and you think man i would have i was better off spiritually in hanford 
Why didn't I stay there? Well, because we think you have to promote all the time in order to be more and more and more successful. But we need to think spiritually and not materially. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock and the goods in front of them. Little ones means children. And so this is telling us that they know not only stole the uh, shrine and its idols, but they stole livestock and they kidnapped members of Micah's household, obviously to make them slaves. These guys were sinking deeper and deeper into sin. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, what ails you that you have gathered such a company? They're like distressed about it. Incredible. They're so convinced they're in the right that they thought it an affront to be pursued. Why are you pursuing us? Because we kidnapped some people and stole your goods? What's the matter with you guys? So he said, you've taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you've gone away. What more do I have? How can you say to me, what ails you? Note to self, if your gods can be kidnapped, then you need to get different gods. (laughs) Where's God? He was kidnapped. How do you know? He's he's in a ransom note. Proof of life, you know, there's a little idol there with a, I don't know. Verse 25, and the children of Dan said to him, Don't let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. I love the way the Danites have, they they have a real language spin here on all of this. I mean, basically what they're saying is we're going to kill you. But they put it in such nice flowery language, you know, because they want to appear godly. Then the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. They're bullies. The real fight was back home against Amorites. Instead, they chose to pick on those who were weaker. So they took the things Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him and went to Laish to a people quiet and secure. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and they burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. They had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there. The Israelites were promised that everywhere they'd tread, they would conquer. But that was only within their allotted inheritance. God had put up a no trespassing sign on Laish that said to the Israelites, don't tread on me. But the Danites ignored it. The end result wasn't conquest. It was mass murder. What began as a simple act of disobedience, of faithlessness, of not believing they could overcome their enemy began an avalanche of sin that resulted in the mass murder of innocent people. Sin is like that. It seems so small. It seems almost insignificant at first. It seems like it's not going to affect you or others very much. But as it's pursued and not repented of, it grows and grows and grows until it becomes a destruction uh, that just sweeps through you and all of your relationships and everything that you have. You become a spiritual mass murderer as it was. What's even worse is that the Jews were supposed to be an example to the non-Jews, leading them to convert to Judaism. They ought to have come to Laish as missionaries, not as murderers. The Danites should have conquered their own territory. And then having that under control said, now how can we serve the Lord? Hey, there's this peaceful tribe down in the area of Ephraim from Laish. And they haven't heard about our God yet, so let's go down there and share with them that they can be converted, that they can know the God of Israel. 
and come into the covenant relationship. But instead, they just saw them as in the way, disposable. They wanted their goods. When we abandon our circumstances and trespass, it kills evangelism. For one thing, we don't represent Jesus, and that might be the very reason God has us in those places. Some of you have the uh, privilege right now, or have had it in the past, or will have it in the future, of being the only Christian in your workplace or at school. And I've been there, and you come home and you think, I'm the only Christian. Why can't there be another Christian? Well, there doesn't need to be another Christian. How many Christians make a majority? Just one. You and God. And so we have to adopt that understanding that I, if, you know, while I'm waiting for the other job because I hate this one so bad, I'm still going to meet it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to represent Jesus. It's going to be like Jesus working here. And you'll fail. You fail miserably all the time. Repent, start again, start again and again and again and, and be that testimony that God wants you to be. They call the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. They named it Dan as if it was the land God had given them. If some traveler came by years later who didn't know the history of the land, by all outward appearances, it would seem as though they were in their own territory and that everything was hunky-dory or, as they would say, kosher. Ah, but they didn't have their real story. They weren't telling the real story. They were rewriting history is revisionist history but we have their story in the bible and it's sordid and it's terrible it prompts me to wonder what is my story if i told it all of it would it be godly now of course as i've mentioned several times we all fail we all fall short john said if you say you don't have any sin you're a liar there's some sin right there to start with But God is going to tell our story. Jesus is going to bring us before his Father in heaven. And he says when he does, we're going to be faultless before the throne of grace. So at some point, I'm going to be faultless before the Lord. And my sordid, terrible story where I have highs and lows, Jesus is taking care of it at the cross by his grace. But from my perspective, I want to be able to tell, and you should want to be able to tell, a story of godliness. God led me into this place. He led me into this relationship. He led me out of this sin and gave me grace and mercy. He's leading me in this direction. I'm serving him. I belong to him. Those kinds of things. That's the kind of story we want to be able to tell. Not, you know, hiding behind things that are not really godly at all. You're working on your story all the time by your choices. So just make it a good godly one. Verse 30, then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So they settled down into a false city with a false worship and seemed to prosper for many years to come. They enjoyed a land without any enemies to overcome, and they followed a feel-good religion. Is that what we really want? To enjoy life without conquest and to be reinforced in our own personal selfishness. On some level, that sounds just fine. If you're in the midst of an intense conflict, it's tempting to want to escape it. Some trials are just so, so hard. If you haven't wept with anybody who's weeping lately, then you're not really entering in. I mean, some of your trials are very, very hard. 
Some of you have, or others that we know, they have diseases and sicknesses that while we pray for God's healing, they may not get better. They may not recover. And so trials are hard. God left enemies in our land because the, or the Israelite land because they needed to learn how to do battle with them. They needed to see God overcoming their enemies through them as they walked by faith. In law enforcement and emergency services, personnel require continuing training in what they call perishable skills. You and I spiritually need continuing training in applying resources to the circumstances of our life. And so God brings us into, through circumstances, where we have to meet those enemies and be more than conquerors. Take inventory of your life. If you are where you're supposed to be, and I'd wager most of us are. Uh, this isn't one of those things where, you know, you're, you're probably not where you need to be. You probably are. But you also need to believe that victory can be yours despite your hardships there. Your circumstances may not change. They may even get worse. It doesn't give me any joy to tell you that, but it's true. But you are more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves you. And remember, he is changing you from glory to glory to look a little more like Jesus in every way, every day. And so your circumstances, they're not a surprise to God. They may not be great, but they're not a surprise to God. And he wants to meet you in them and change you more and more into the image of his son. A word to you who are in severe circumstances that are unlikely to soon change, if ever. One of our families going through the fire right now posted these lyrics from the Mercy Me song, even if, I think it speaks to this very well. You probably know the song. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul.